But Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to finish uh, chapter 4 today. So we'll pick it up with where we left off. I do want to read, even though we covered verse 15, let me read verse 15, because verse 15 sets up the rest of the verses. So let's go back to verse 15 and read it through verse 23, starting with verse 15. And it happened. This is, good. this is a good news, and it happened if you were last week. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was, from that time on, half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and the other hand held a weapon. Not an easy job to do, huh? I usually need two hands for anything I do, right? Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Let's read that again. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work. Half of the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by day and a working party by, I'm sorry, they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you again for your word. May we decrease this morning that you may increase. May you speak by your spirit, remove any distraction, bring the plot of the enemy to nothing in our lives today, but Lord, may we leave this place more filled with your joy, your love, your peace, your power, your strength. Speak to us by your spirit, through your word. Thank you for those that have gone before us. They are a witness that you can do it again in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, from the time of Nehemiah's arrival, I'm going way back for just a second. Sometimes it's good to kind of go all the way back to how we got here, right? So we're going four chapters back, if you will. From the time of Nehemiah's arrival, remember the people, at first they were convicted. They had that conviction, and then they were convinced that rebuilding the walls was, in fact, the will of God, and that the time was right now. They were convinced of that. Then they arose. That's a big step. Sometimes half the battle is just standing up. Amen? Amen? Then they rose up, and they just started taking those steps to getting started. They endured some mocking. Remember when you first got saved, a little bit of mocking? It still happens way after salvation, right? The doubts, the steady reminders that they were trying something that had not worked, and it would not work. That's what they were told. This will never work. Hadn't before. Why would it now? but they pressed on. They had a mind to work. Remember, we saw that in chapter 4. The verse says they had a mind to work. And with all the insults and all the confusion that was hurled in their direction, they still made progress. You ever look back and say, how did I get here? I can't believe I made any progress. It doesn't feel like we're making progress sometimes, but we are if we just continue to say, Lord, I can do this. Another step. Up to half of the wall's height was completed. Now, that's not completion, but... You're halfway home, right? But then the fatigue started setting in. Remember that? They started feeling fatigue. The labors that says their strength was failing. You ever done a good work, but then all of a sudden you feel exhausted? And the fatigue started to set in. Their strength started to fail. They looked around and they saw all the debris that still remained. You ever look around and you say, as much has gotten done, I still see a mess Sometimes literally in the house, but certainly metaphorically, right? In our lives, in our own hearts, in relationships, in our families, we still see all the debris. 
And then the doubts returned with full force because they saw that debris. They had made progress, and yet they didn't look, or they didn't think, it looked like they could complete the job. To add to all this, the mock and the insults, well, then they transitioned to full threats of attack of death. They weren't mocking now. They weren't just kind of making fun. They were saying, you're going to die. You're going to be killed. Their own Jewish peers came and reminded them, remember, ten times, ten times they told them an imminent attack was coming and you're in danger of death and destruction. Ten times they were told. But then Nehemiah did what? He said, time out. He stood up. Now, Nehemiah was not a pastor, but boy, he had a shepherd's heart. Wouldn't you agree? He had a shepherd's heart. You know, so I find today one of the sad realities is many pastors in America today don't have a shepherd's heart. And many people don't want a shepherd. So it works both ways, right? Give me a celebrity, and I want to be a celebrity. And Paul said this, people will heap up for themselves something, but Nehemiah wasn't heaped up. He was sent there. No one heaped him up. No one said, hey, you know, we'd like to order a Nehemiah. <laughs> God sent him. God sent Nehemiah, and he stood up, and he preached just a few, but very anointed words of power, of truth, of conviction, of focus, of motivation, of boldness, and encouragement. Everything he said was not his words he he said, look, he reminded people, look back to God, look back to God. God will do this. God will bring us through. And they weren't just words that went in one ear and out the other, but they sank into the hearts of the believers there. They sank into the hearts of the hearers. And they looked back at the Lord. That was back in verse 14 where it says, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord. They looked back at the Lord. And instead of looking around and seeing all the debris, they started to see lives. Remember he said, remember, fight for your sons and daughters and your families. They started to see people again. Instead of debris, they started to see lives. They started to see souls. This is why God wanted to build the walls. God's not into building big buildings. The pyramids, the Empire State Building, the Burj Dubai, all these places around the world. God's not into buildings, even the temple, he allowed it to be destroyed a couple of times, didn't he? He's not into buildings, but he is into people. And they started to look around. They saw the lives that had been entrusted to them. And the tide turns in their heart, and they start to go from fatigue back to being willing to finish the work, willing to fight for the Lord, fight for their families, fight for the larger family of God within the city of Jerusalem. What made the difference? What is it that made the difference? What put this refreshing wind of commitment? A wind of do you need a wind of commitment? Do you need a wind of commitment from God? You can't conjure it up, but you can ask for it. Do you need a wind of commitment and determination? What caused this wind to blow into these weary and frightened workers that had gone forward, gone back, gone forward, gone back? And then Nehemiah stands up, and they actually feel strength coming into them. In a single word, here's where that commitment comes from. Grace. G-R-A-C-E. I can still spell. Grace. Grace. There's nothing you and I have to, done to deserve the fresh winds of God. There's nothing you've done to deserve the strength of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the help of God. And certainly there's nothing we've done to do, enjoy and experience and realize for ourselves the salvation of God. It's grace. Did you know the Bible says that all of our righteousness is filthy rags? If you took all of us in this room and collected all of our years, all of our years, took every single year, added them up, I don't know how many, we'd have probably over, I don't know, several hundred, maybe a thousand years. Some of you math people could work it out faster than I could. We'd have a lot of years in this room. And then if you took all of our righteousness, it would still not fill a thimble. It's all of God's grace. In successive order, as they receive grace, 
as they received the message that Nehemiah preached, they did. They remembered God. He said, remember God, and they did. They remembered God is holy. He's the source of grace. He's the source of strength. They remembered God's the source of everything good. Just like Satan's the source of everything evil, God's the source of everything good. Number two, he says, remember the Lord God and awesome. awesome. When you remember God, they remember that God is the one that will come to our defense. That's what we see here as well in verse 20. God will rally, we rally, our God will fight for us. They remembered that God is full of grace and that God will come to our defense. You see, they remembered the sovereignty of God and they chose to believe and trust God with their lives and the results of what he wants to do with their lives. God's will for their life. Are you trusting God for his results in your life? His will for your life. His plan for your life. And then, when they saw God move on their behalf, when, when you see God move, when you have personally, not someone else's testimony, when you, sitting in your chair, when you have felt God come to your defense, your faith's going to grow. It, you can hear a million testimonies, but until you personally feel God come to your defense, you'll be like, that's a great story. But when God comes to your defense, when God does something you know was from him, you know it was his grace, you know he helped you, you know he gave you joy when you were in depression, you know he helped you find that job, you know he healed that relationship, you know he brought reconciliation with that person you thought would never like you again. All these things, when you, when you know that God, you know it was God, you know that you should have died in this situation and you didn't. And once you realize that, you're like, God, my faith is growing. You only need a mustard seed, and none of us even have that. But they did. Their faith started to grow exponentially. And it didn't just fortify their faith, but also their ability to endure. If I know for a fact, if you tell me, say, Tim, you've never fasted this long, but if you're willing to fast till Friday, I'm giving you a million bucks. I have motivation I've never had before. <laughs> I'm like, what can I do? I can pay off this with the church. I can do this. I can do that. Finally get the truck I want. All, what, all these things, you know, all, all, you know all, all kinds of stuff. I don't know where that came from. But anyway, all of these things. You would find a motivation, but, you know, God doesn't want that to be our motivation. He wants us to know he's in front of us like a pillar of fire, a cloud, not motivated by stuff. We were talking about this. Uh, we were on the way to the pastor's conference. I was talking to some men. I said, you realize that everything that we ever want in the material world is to satisfy a non-material need? Everything. If you have a $10 million home, you still want to watch TV in it. Why? Because it would feel like nothing if you couldn't be entertained in it, if you couldn't read a book in it, if you couldn't have thoughts that actually feel good. Every single thing is material for a non-material need. And God says, your non-material need is endurance, strength, joy, peace. You can't buy any of those things. Not even at Costco, where they have just about everything, right? Can't buy any of that stuff. But their faith was going to grow. But their ability to endure, that's an inward strength that only God can give. You can't make yourself, I'm going to turn into an enduring person. I'm going to turn into a perseverant saint. You say, Lord, make me a perseverant saint. Help me. Give me that kind of strength. Give me the same strength you gave to Peter and to Paul and to Polycarp and all these other saints that have gone before us. And I believe when they started to look at God and they started to receive that inward faith that only comes from God, it also changed their perspective not only about the problems but about themselves in a very good and much-needed way. You and I need God to change our perspective about ourselves, don't we? Sometimes we don't see ourselves exactly that we need. The, we need there's mirrors and then there's God's mirror, right? Mirrors are pretty good help. But God's mirror is a whole lot better than a mirror. I lie to myself when I look in the mirror anyway. I'm like, you're not getting older. You still look the same as you did 20 years ago and all that stuff. But God changes our perspective. When we truly see God for who he is, 
and we truly appreciate his goodness and compassion towards us. You know what it does to us? Humbles us. Humbles us. Not fake humility, the real deal. Humbles us. We're like, Lord, thank you. Thank you merely means thank you. And when you get humble, you're like, Lord, thank you. Thank you for anything today. And you know what? You can write this one. I don't know if you write anything. God, if you write nothing else down, God loves humility. It's irresistible to God. He loves humility. He loves a humble spirit. He will not resist. If you are humble, God's going to do amazing things for you if you're humble. But he resists the proud. He loves a humble spirit. The spirit of God is always attracted to humble and obedient faith. Humble and obedient faith. God will always shine a spotlight of grace on humble and obedient faith. Now, it's grace that actually reminds us to think this way at all. But then when we say, yes, Lord, obedience and humility go hand in hand. And God says, that contrite spirit I will bless. And that's what he starts doing here. They looked back at God. They remembered. They believed. Say, Lord, help us, help us, help us, help us. We don't bring anything to the table. And God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you be determined. Here's the thing. It's utter dependence on God that gives us unparalleled determination. If you want to see unparalleled determination in your heart and in your life and to take steps you've never taken and walk through fires and walk through storms and metaphorically walk on water, and I'm not saying this kind of pump anyone up. I'm simply saying that that kind of determination, I've studied it from the saints of old, last 2,000 years, it only comes from humbling ourselves before God. There's no other source. It's not just quoting platitudes. It's not just, well, I know a lot of Bible. It's not just I went to church. It really is a humble spirit before God. And God says, that I will honor. I'll start to open up doors that no man can shut, Jesus said. And I'll shut doors that no man can open. It's not a determination of our own self, but it's a determination that's birthed in grace, and then our will says yes to the Lord. I wish I had more time to describe this because it is a little bit tricky in the sense that we know it starts from God, but yet there is a response from us of humility required and belief and faith. Hence the title, Divinely Determined Servants. God wants us to be divinely determined. Because if it's not divine, determination will fade rather quickly, won't it? The good thing about God is nothing about God ever fades away. He neither changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If I want to have the same determination in 20 years, if I'm still alive, as I do now, I'm going to need it to be divine. How about you? Because temporal's not going to help get it done. It's not going to get the job done. Everything in this world's going to fade away. If you're taking notes, we'll take... Three brief things we want to look at this morning. The first one is starting fresh. Don't you like fresh starts? We all do. We all like when we get fresh starts, when God gives us fresh starts, when people give us fresh starts. Well, the work had stopped, as you recall. It was a setback. It was a temporary one, but it was a setback that could have caused a complete shutdown. Did you realize that every time we have a setback, it could be a complete shutdown if it weren't for God, right? Could have been a complete shutdown. And instead, it becomes, thanks to God's grace, thanks for God sending Nehemiah, he speaks, they listen, they humble themselves. God instead makes it a restart. And restarts are good, aren't they? I've had a lot of restarts in my life. How about you? More than I can count, right? Every day, in, in a sense, is a restart. But we've had some that we can really look back and say, Lord... I don't know why I had drifted to that point, but you gave me a restart. And God does give restarts. Very often, these words that we looked at um, in verse 16, where, uh, it says, so it was from that time on. Very often we hear the words from that time on, it can describe people turning from God, right? From that time on, so-and-so didn't follow the Lord, or so-and-so walked away from God, but not here. The dedication, determination actually took deeper root. Sometimes our failures, when we respond to failure well, our roots can go deeper. Do you believe that? Sometimes failure actually proves to us that we must depend on God more. Amen? Amen. Failure is a good thing in that respect. It's a really good teacher. 
I've actually found that success is not near as good a teacher as failure in many respects. But many times, failure says, Lord, I need these roots deeper. And God says, I was hoping you'd come to that conclusion. And I'm going to help them go deeper. When God brings you through something, it changes you for the better. When God brings you through something, not around it, but through it. Have you ever come to a divine intersection in your life? A divine intersection. You know God's brought you to a four-way stop sign. Sometimes you have to sit there a while, don't you? I don't know which way to go. And I'm talking about post-salvation. Salvation was an intersection in and of itself, wasn't it? You had to decide to either say yes and move forward or stay right there and go the other direction. But these divine intersections, they had one here. And it says from that time forward, they made a decision, a valid decision to say, we're going to humble ourselves and believe more in God, not less in God. More in God. I want us in this room to today leave here believing more in God, not less in God. More in God. The world's believing less in God every day. We need to be believing more in him. I know for me, from the day of salvation, I've been more all in for Jesus. On a, this is how my line has gone. Notice the trend line? You guys are familiar with trend lines, right? Trend lines don't go like this. But you should be going like this. You should be able to look back and say, there's a couple steps backwards. We all have them. But the trend line is more faith in God. That's what was happening here. Not turning back. They, were, they didn't go back. If you turn back, that's a big problem. But you are going to stumble. You are going to fall. You are going to like, I can't pick this brick up, much less this trowel or this sword. But God gets our attention, and we're able to say, all right, Lord, I'll take that step. It's as if collectively, uh, it says, and it happened from this time on, Half the servants worked at construction while the other half had spears and shields and bows and, and they even had a sword on one side and a trowel on the other. It's as if collectively all the work, workers co uh, conclude together, and I love it's together, not just one person. They all came to the same conclusion. Here's what I believe they were kind of thinking. If the wall goes up, If we die, we die doing the Lord's will. If we don't die, the wall goes up. So we can't lose, right? We either do the Lord's will and die building the wall, or we don't die and the wall goes up. That sounds like a great deal to me. That's why Paul said, hey, I'm okay. To be absent with the body is present with the Lord. He goes, I'm, I'm fine with staying or going, Paul said. But I'm not going to deviate from the will of the Lord. How about you? So they all said, if God said he's going to prosper the work, which he did, he's either telling us the truth or he's not. They said, he must be telling us the truth. Let's restart the wall. And they get back to work. Notice that their fresh start doesn't happen in a different place. A lot of people want a fresh start somewhere else. Can I go build a wall somewhere over there? And God says, where have I put you? Well, I'm right here. I don't want to rebuild right here, guys. This, right where you're at, is where your fresh start is. But this doesn't feel like there's still debris all around. That's your fresh start. Because the fresh start comes from God, right? Not from our circumstances. Fresh start comes from the Lord. They don't start somewhere else. No, they've got to start in the very place they were already working. The place you were already working is where God probably wants you to keep working, to keep growing. Remember, Jonah tried to have a fresh start somewhere else. How'd that work out? He was fresh meat for a whale, right? But uh, he didn't get a... Uh, he actually got spit back out on the exact same Mediterranean coast that he started at. If you belong to the Lord and you try and make your fresh start in a different place, God will take you and will re-spit you back out right where you started from. That's actually comforting in a way because it knows, means that God loves us. Whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. Fresh starts always first happen where? In the heart. They happen in the heart. Um, it's almost always that God wants to finish what he started in us. Well, he always wants to finish what he started. But again, 
almost always, and I'm not going to say every single time because God can do what God wants to do, but almost always right where you're at because God doesn't have us run from things. He has us run to him. Not run from things, run to him. And they had to do that, say, Lord, to finish this job. We can't run. This is the wall you've called us to build. There's not another city you want the wall. You want Jerusalem rebuilt. They couldn't say, well, let's, let's just build another city. And there's something else here that I believe is significant. Notice the word Nehemiah used in, the verse, in verse 16. He says that half of my servants... Many people have been saved and have yet to realize they've been saved to serve the Lord. They still think God's here to serve them. God's here to change us, transform us, provide for us. But we have been created to serve him. Many consider themselves Christians, but do they really see themselves as servants? Do they really see themselves as servants? Do you really see yourself as a servant of the Lord? By the way, the word Christian is mentioned a whopping three times in the entire Bible. Three times. Twice in the book of Acts. Once in 1 Peter. The word Christian, three times. Any idea how many times the word servant is used? as it relates directly to the people of God or the, or the children of God or those that have been saved more than 50 times in the New Testament alone. And I didn't even count how many times in the Old Testament. It's a lot. David just speak, prays like that. You're serving this. You're serving that. You're serving this. He's the king. He's the king of an empire, and he's constantly saying, you're serving this. You're serving that, Right? Either Jesus directly used the word servant in his parables or directly speaking to apostles or people that are followers. The apostles themselves used the word servant. The writers of the New Testament used the word servant. Hardly any of them used the word Christian. You will hardly find many people that will walk around saying, yes, I am, a, I am a servant. I'm a Christian. Well, I'm a Christian too, but God's called Christians to be servants. Many name the name of Christ. Many who name the name of Christ now live in first and foremost um, serving themselves. But God's called us to serve Him. Amen. To serve Him. Nehemiah even says, you, at first blush, you might think, "Well, this is kind of arrogant." Nehemiah says, "My servants." Did you know that to be servants, you have to become submissive? Servants have a submissive spirit. Now, Nehemiah was not, he, he wasn't lording anything over them. He wept and prayed and fasted. That's how he got there in the first place. He didn't say, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to give up this cushy job and go help these people. He actually, you, know, you realize he left a really good position in Babylon to come there because he had a love for them. But he says now, when he says my servants, you can kind of see that he sees that they're actually coming into the same heart. Do you know when God gives us all the same heart here, amazing things can happen? Unified hearts. They have that servant spirit. They have a humility now uh, that is starting to show. This stands out in a day and age in our time when very few percentage of Americans are submissive to anything. Just ha look how they speak to each other. They hate authority. They hate each other. There's very That's why marriages fail. That's why we have so much, you know, People just at each other in so many different ways. There's not, very few people are accountable to anybody but themselves anymore. Brother and sister, start to submit in the body of Christ to leadership and to people that God has put in your life. You'll grow. God will bless you for it. Joseph became king because he had a submissive heart, right? But he had to spend a little time in the dungeon, didn't he? I'm not saying that there won't be some desert periods to get you where God's going to take you. But the more submissive our spirit, the more we say, yes, Lord, I'm your servant. God says, he who is servant, I'm going to put in charge of things. You know, someday in the millennium reign of Christ, some in this room are going to rule and reign. And some of you are going to have like one person to manage. Right? But some of you are going to have entire nations because you have a humble spirit today. Look, have eternity mindset. Don't have the American mindset. 
You're not taking any of it with you anyway, right? So they had this fresh start, and they took the fresh start, and then we see this next point, solidarity embraced. You don't hear the word solidarity a lot, but uh, maybe you are familiar with it. And Webster's defines solidarity as this, unity as a group or a class that, produce, uh, that produces or is based on a community of interest, objectives, and standards. In other words, solidarity is where everyone has the same value system. There's solidarity there. We believe in the same principles and priorities. And for the children of God, for the people of God, for the family of God, we believe in the interest that Jesus outlines. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. We believe his values, what he places as important, is more important than what Fortune magazine says. More important than what USA Today says. More important what E says. More important what every celebrity on the red carpet has to say. Right? We believe more important than what comes out of the White House, more important than what comes out of the United Nations. We believe that whatever the Lord says is far more important. Amen? That's doubly true in today's time. But solidarity is also the opposite of going solo. It's the opposite of going solo. The opposite of going it alone and doing it our own way. Now, 4th of July is right around the corner. We're not that far from 4th of July. From now till the 4th, you can hang your little American stuff and all that, because from Memorial Day to the 4th, it's more accurately called what? Independence Day. That's really what it was, because the signers of the Declaration, they had to come together in what? Solidarity. They all had to believe that this was worth putting our name in ink, which, by the way, was a death sentence for some, to sign their name to that. They had to personally risk their lives. But each one made a choice individually, but they did it what? Together. Together. That's why all the signatures were put on the same page, because it was a together statement. But there was a strength. I'm sure there was a strength. Don't you find a strength when you see other people sign their name right by yours? Say, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll pray with you. I'll stand with you. I'll have your back. I'll be there for you. Two are stronger than one. Three are stronger than two. Jesus sent them out what? Two by two. He gathered them as the 12, right? He said, we're going to have solidarity. We're going to have unity. And Nehemiah says, we're going to have to do this together. We're all going to have to be of the same mindset. We all have to believe that building this wall is the most important thing right now that we're focused on. If you're saved, Jesus has signed your name in a book too. You know that? In the Lamb's Book of Life. And your name is right in there along with every other name in this room. We're all in the same book, already signed. That's who we're going to spend eternity with. We're practicing solidarity. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking, people that like to go it alone are not going to like heaven. There's a whole lot of together there. And I saw a multitude singing the same song together, all coming together. You have to realize that heaven is God's bringing every, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. I'm gonna be, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to understand Arabic and Russian and Swahili and all the other languages. You'll know them all, just like in the book of Acts. I believe, remember, they, everyone spoke and everyone could understand each other. didn't matter. You won't need a United Nations earpiece or anything. But God's going to bring solidarity in his kingdom, isn't he? There'll be one heart, one people. We're a unified book in the family of God. But are we living unified with our brothers and sisters? Are we living a unified faith? Are we working to the same goal? Are we building up people in the faith? We're not building walls now. We're not building walls around Jerusalem, but we are building into people's lives. Are you lightening the load of others? That's the way. We're, we're kind of doing the opposite work today. We're here to lighten people's load. Jesus said, my burden is what? Light. When you walk into a room, does your countenance bring health and strength and love, or does it like... There's some people when they walk, I want to run the other direction, right? Like, I was happy till... Oh, boy. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
We all have problems, but let the joy of the Lord be your strength. And build other people up. Are you vigilant on behalf of other people? You're saying, Lord, I really am interceding for this person, for their best interest, for their deliverance, for their relationship, for that job they need, or whatever it is. Are you vigilant on behalf? Are you helping say, look, I'll pray with you so you can resist that temptation, whatever it is, but you've got to be involved in people's life to even know to be vigilant for them, right? Many Christians couldn't tell you two things about anyone else in the body of Christ because they really are on an island, and this is not the way heaven's going to be, and it's not the way the walls ever get built. Verse 17 and 18 was part of the work. And we see that everyone had the same tools. Those who built on the wall, those who carried burdens, load themselves. Uh, they worked construction. With the other, they held a weapon. They had a sword at their side. They all had the same tools. Everyone was committed to what? The defense. Everyone was. You and I ought to be committed to the defense of the gospel. The defense of the defenseless, the defense of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to be committed to caring for those around us. We're not wearing a sword, literally, but we're fighting against the enemy who wants... Do you know that the people sitting on either side of you, Satan wants to destroy their lives? Say, I don't know that. Well, you don't know what's in their life. I bet you if everyone in this room starts saying, telling things they haven't told anybody but God, you say, wow, I didn't know that that ever happened to you. I didn't know you ever dealt with that. I didn't know you ever felt that way. God was like, I didn't tell you to know it. I told you to just believe that you're called to care for the people around you. I'm okay with, matter of fact, I'm really good with not knowing everything. I don't know how God does it, right? I wouldn't want to know all the stuff that God knows. But I do know that we're given a trial on one side and a spear on the other to fight for other people to come to their defense, to stand with them. That's all they were called to do. They weren't told to know every little detail. Just do that. This um, work of the gospel that we're called into, the, su su the success of the church is dependent clearly on the Spirit of God, clearly on the grace of God. Neither of those things do we produce. They come down out of heaven, right? The Spirit of God, the grace of God but it also comes from a church willing to be united in those things. Amen? That's our response. Say, Lord, we unite under the Spirit of God and under the grace of God. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Father, make them one even as you and me are one. Now, if Jesus prayed that, you know that we need to be in that same prayer mindset. Amen? Amen. Jesus prayed this because our mission isn't with swords and it isn't with trials, not literally, but we do have some tools in our hand, prayer and the Word of God. This is your sword, folks, right here. This is your sword. It's not shaped like a sword, but spiritually it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And you have prayer. It's a trial. It builds you up. It builds other people up. But the work is great. Building these walls hadn't been accomplished in nearly 100 years. No one has succeeded. The work is great. Nobody can complete the mission alone. Certainly, we can't reach the whole world by ourselves, right? Just think about how big India and China are alone, a billion-plus people, and God cares for every, bit, every one of them. I was, reading, uh, my heart was, I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal. I still like to read business articles that just kind of just give me insights to what's going on on planet Earth. I was reading an article about Venezuela. You know that their um, inflation is 14,000%? It's the worst depression the world has seen in many decades. And most Americans couldn't care less. Those people are not more deserving of what they're going through than you and me. They were just born in the world just like you and I. It's only by the grace of God I'm living in Chesterfield County. How about you? And God cares for them just as much. So I start, you know, Lord, how do we... Pray for them. Intercede for them. What can we do? They're starving. There's people that are down like 90 pounds that a couple of years ago were a healthy 150. They can't find food. And any of that stuff, well, now it's not just there. It's Syria. It's parts of Africa. It's around the world. But God says, look, the work is great, the, but the laborers are what? Few. few. God says, very few really want to do the work. Nehemiah found a team that says, we're here 
We're humble, we're receiving grace, and we're willing to do it together. They were all committed to the same mission. By the way, Satan wants to weaken our connections to each other. Did you know that? He doesn't want you connected with the body of Christ. He wants you living on an island. He wants you living in la-la land. By yourself, your own world, self-absorbed. But God wants us to bring us together. And Satan never, ever, 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 ever stops trying to weaken our connections with one another. He's always trying to sabotage. He's always trying to sow discord. He's always trying to pull us away from one another. Whoever came up with that quote, distance makes the heart grow fonder, never examined a church. Distance in the church makes people grow less and less. I don't really need you because I haven't been in your life and you're not in my life, so I don't really need you anymore. That's what happens. Does not make the heart grow fonder. Surely wasn't speaking of a, of a local family church. Um, if, you look in, if you look in verse 20, it says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to I'm sorry, not verse 20. Um, in verse 19, it says, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Did you hear those words? We're separate. Nehemiah understood that he had to address that there was always going to be a natural gap between people. It happens. There's going to be some separation. The longer you're out of fellowship, the longer you're not connected, the less you'll care for one another. And you won't even care that you don't care. You'll not care, and you won't even know. Just like I've said before, you ever go on the ocean and you're not paying attention to the tide, you are five blocks down the beach in no time flat. Hey, where's our towel? Way down there, right? We just drift. He says they're separated from one another. So he said, but I can't keep them separate. I've got to keep bringing them back together. The longer you're out of fellowship, the less you'll care. The same thing happens in a marriage. You stop investing in a marriage, you don't have a marriage, Right? Don't invest in your marriage relationship. You just might lose it. I know that's not the case with every failed marriage. I, I understand that. There's many other variables, and some of them are, for one part, unpreventable. I get all that. God has grace for all that and cares for those of you that have come from broken relationships. But in many cases, it's just neither party in, invests and is willing to stay connected and willing to uh, love and care for one another. They allow distance to grow. But did you know that all relationships can fade without attention? All relationship, any kind of relationship, church relationship, uh, family relationship, uh, you, you know, it happens. You ever heard the phrase, you ever heard this phrase, we just kind of grew apart. We just drifted apart. We've all heard these words. And it happens in church relationship. We just kind of drifted apart. Well, we kind of used to like them, but we don't like them anymore. We kind of used to hang out, but we don't hang out anymore. Uh, by the way, in my marriage, I'm not going to wait till it's cold to invest in it. How about you? I, I believe in preventative care for everything in life. How about you? <laughs> Nehemiah called for preventative care. He said, we're going to be separated on the wall, but I'm going to set up a rallying point. Because preventative care is better than emergency care. Amen? Amen? I hate emergency room visits. How about you? <laughs> preventative care. That's what God wants to see. He says, stay in the state of solidarity. Stay united. Stay connected. If that happens, there's less emergency care and more anointing in our lives in the ministry. You don't wait till things become cold or apathetic. You don't wait till they're crumbling. But you stay connected. It's preventative wisdom. It's love. It's care. And we should be doing it today, tomorrow, next week. And just as I have to work and maintain growth in our marriage, me and my wife tomorrow will be married 24 years. Tomorrow. And by the way, we did not get married on Memorial Day. That only happens once every seven years, as best I can tell, right? It was a Saturday, and it was not Memorial Day, but tomorrow it is Memorial Day. So I will not be, because Memorial Day to me is a more sobering thing to remember. I will not be tweeting or Facebooking about my marriage tomorrow. I will the day after. But anyway, but not tomorrow. 
Uh, but I told you about it today because I'm saying that our 24 years, we, we're thankful for it, but we know that we have to constantly invest in staying connected to one another. But I find the same with people. I, I'll, people in the church, I'm like, yeah, I haven't heard from them. I haven't seen. I, I'll text some of y'all, reach, hey, how you doing? I, I, and I wish I could do it way more. I wish I had 48 hours in a day. How about you? To stay better connected to people, more thank yous, more how you doing, more encouraging. We have to stay conscious about connecting. There, there are natural obstacles in life that separate us. Distance, geography, work hours, all kinds of things. You name it. We could write up a list. Any of you ever done a whiteboarding session? A brainstorming session. Brainstorming. And you start to brainstorm. You say, let's put up everything on the wall that could naturally, not through animosity, not through vitriol, not through just, uh, I don't like that, just natural things that separate us. You'd be surprised how long the list is. And then you say, well, Jesus said to stay connected. How do we overcome that list? It's called the Holy Spirit. It then makes it all work. There's natural roadblocks. Staying connected will require effort and intentionality, but it's always, always worth it. And notice this solidarity that Nehemiah stresses in verse 20. Now we can go to verse 20. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. God loves humility, but he also loves unity. And when he sees unity, he will rally to our defense. Does this not excite you a little bit? That God's saying, all right, I'm going to make this simple, simple, simple for you. You accept grace. You be humble, and you stay unified, and I'm going to fight for you. I, I hear people all the time say, I wish the government would fight for me. I wish this would fight for me. I wish, God says, I'll fight for you. I only created the universe. No, no, I don't, I don't want your help. I need, I need someone that's rich. My boss will come to me. Your boss will fire you a year from now if he had to save his own neck. Amen. Not my boss. Oh, yeah. I was in corporate America for like 15 years. I saw people that you would never think would fail on someone. Don't put all your eggs in the world's basket. Amen? Amen. Rally to where God's... If God says this is where you need to rally, guess where you need to rally? Where God says. Israel went through the Red Sea because they rallied to the point of God. Amen? You notice the solidarity. Gather together and implore the help of God. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us here. Our God will fight for us. Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. We should be rallying together more, but the American church is rallying together less. And we don't have a trumpet. I never get up here with a shofar or a trumpet and say, it's time for church, right? We don't do that, right? But this is our rallying point, folks. Amen? Amen? This is our rallying point. We have Sunday on every calendar. You can, like, draw a trumpet on your Sunday calendar, right? This is a rallying point. We have a weekly rallying. We, we come together. The great D.L. Moody, God used him to shake two continents for the Lord. He said church attendance is as vital to a disciple as transfusion of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. And he saw it. He saw the church that God gave him in Chicago explode because he went to the worst of the neighborhoods. He went where no, everyone else was petrified to walk in there, and he just strolls in there with candy and starts winning people to Christ because he had the Holy Spirit, but he also believed in the unity of the body of Christ. Being, a, um, being discipled in a large setting like this is important, but also in groups. Also in one-on-one relationships or one-to-few relationships. That's why I encourage you, men, come to our men's thing. Ladies, come to our ladies. You need to come to rallying points. They're not there to rah-rah, spin you up. They're there to continually, steadily build us up together. Together. We have a midweek rallying. Not everybody can come on Wednesday nights. I know that. I know people are out of town. They got you're a nurse and you get this job. Or, uh, there's lots of reasons. There's a host of reasons. There's also a host of reasons why people can come. And God knows who is who. Year, for years, me and my wife, we wouldn't come on Wednesday nights. We said the kids were too young. All of a sudden, someone challenged us on that thought. and said, why don't you pray about it? Oh, the dreaded pray about it. <laughs> we hadn't prayed about it. Oh, we had not prayed about it. We had, in our mind, we really believed this. We were not being, we don't want to go to church on a Wednesday night. We were not that way. We truly believed, we truly believed that the kids would be exhausted. We, in our minds, we truly believed this. This is years ago. My girls are 
all teenagers now, but we thought for sure if we went on a Wednesday night, they would be exhausted and that we would be exhausted and I would have a bad day at work on Thursday and all the other stuff I thought about. We thought all this way and someone said, why don't you pray about it? I'm like, why'd you have to say that? So then we prayed about it and we, it was clear as a bell. God says, you need to go. So we started going. Guess what? We were more refreshed than before. Kids slept fine. Everything worked. God's like, why were you? This was not like, and I didn't ask you to conquer a nation here or something like that. But we did, and it all worked out, and God said, later you're going to be a pastor, and you have to tell your own story again. But, you know, these rallying points, this coming Wednesday, we have a Wednesday night prayer. If there's ever a rallying point, it's prayer, right? And we'll be gathering to pray, and, you know, um, uh, as we gather, you know, we've got big things to pray for. We have an assistant pastor that has cancer. I hope if I ever have cancer, people would rally to pray for me. And if you say, well, I can't really make the time for something like that, maybe someday someone says, I can't make time for you either. I hope that's not the case. But I hope that people would say, no, no, no. The, the, the kids that are dying in our high schools, they matter. The people in Venezuela, they matter. People that have cancer. And if nothing else, say, I'm going to go pray for everybody else. By the way, he who refreshes others himself will be refreshed. God says, you start praying for other people, I'm going to answer your prayers much, much more than you've ever seen in our life. And God will do that. The early church started with a prayer meeting, all gathered together, right? Acts chapter 1, they had to get 10 days. Talk about a prayer meeting, right? They'd gather together, but then the Holy Spirit fell because they were willing to gather together. You know, I'm thankful for each of these different... This is how people pray a lot today. Text. Facebook, praying, praying. I'm not going to call you and pray with you, praying. I won't see you at a prayer meeting, praying. Now, by the way, I use all these means. I'm not against them. Anyone knows I, I have Twitter and Facebook. I literally say the same thing. Those are some of my screenshots, right? I'm not against them. They augment. They do not replace gathering to pray. They do not replace anything unless you're bedridden, a shut-in, and cannot go anywhere else. And God knows who is who. If you're John the Baptist stuck on the Isle of Patmos, then this might be all you got, right? But I've never been in that place, so God hasn't given me some release point. So you know what? For you, you don't need to gather with anybody to pray. You've got a phone. Just type it in, right? I'm not against it. I'm saying it can't replace. And today, people are getting so disconnected with each other, and they feel like they're connected because, well, I told you on Facebook I was praying. They might want to hold your hand, right? They might want to see a tear in your eye. Not a, well, I sent you a emoticon with a tear. Doesn't that count? Didn't that be enough? No, they've got to gather. Do we want God to fight for us or not? It's as simple as that. Nehemiah says, if you want God to fight, you're going to have to rally together. You're not going to be able to say, well, I'm going to mail mine in. And work that way. The sixth day shall a man work. Seventh day was not just a day of rest, but it was a holy convocation. You know what convocation is? A gathering. God says, come together, and I will rally to your defense. Last thing, we've got to close it up here. Staying strong. We know we've got a fresh start from God. We know that he wants to solidify us together, solidarity. He wants us to come together. He wants us to iron sharpen iron, but also grace, sharpen grace, healing, all that, all the stuff that we need that he's going to give in the collection of the family. But lastly, we need to stay strong. Everyone in this room probably needs more strength than you currently have. The older you get, you realize that, hey, my strength is fading. Every time I go to work out with weights, I'm like, this is not getting better. <laughs> I used to be able to lift this a whole lot easier. I'm, I'm a little jealous of some of the younger guys, but, you know, that's okay because God strengthens us where? On the inside. All that other stuff's going to fade anyway, right? Aren't you looking forward to that new body in heaven? <laughs> well, that'd be great not to worry about any of this stuff. You can eat whatever you want there. All that stuff would be great, but anyway. <laughs> He says at the same time, look, look at these last two verses, and we'll close it into these last two verses. Um, so we last three, verse 21. So we labored in the work. Half of the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. This is a long day. From daybreak until the stars appeared. 
you're working long hours, God hears you. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night. Thanks, Nehemiah. <laughs> they make guard by nay and working party by... Do, do we get to sleep at all? So neither I, my brethren and servants of the guard, follow me. We didn't, take, we didn't change clothes. Every now and then we took them off for washing. Thank goodness for that. If you smell bad, it's good to wash every now and then. But they were, all of a sudden, they were working night and day. And nobody has this ability unless it comes from God. Amen? This is supernatural. This is like the sandals not wearing out uh, in, in the uh, 40 days walking or 40 years when our determination has divine origins, we can endure things we never thought possible. God can give you endurance. You can run the Christian marathon, even if you can't run the Boston marathon. The other night, I had one of these nights. I had had one a long time. Ever, ever been, been on night watch when you don't get to sleep? God says you're not sleeping tonight. I had one of those the other night. Did not sleep all night. So I got up at 1.47, started working on this message, Started typing away. I'm four, like 4.30 in the morning, I finally went to bed. Still couldn't go to sleep till. then I finally fell asleep and got like two hours sleep. I thought that I would be a basket case the next day. Instead, I went and worked out. Got more done the next day than I think I did all week combined. And it was like the God just telling me, I'm going to have to give you an object lesson. I didn't really want the object lesson <laughs> for yourself that this is possible. Do you know the day might come where God is going to give his church strength that we've never seen possible if we're willing to be humble and come together and wait on him. Uh, last year, uh, when I was a kid, anyone ever get, when you get stung by a bee, you swell up? When I was a kid, when I'd get stung by a bee, I'd always, I ran around. When I grew up in the 70s, we didn't wear shoes. We were in barefoot. We were like the Native Americans. At least I thought I was. <laughs> I running through the woods, bare feet. But I stepped on a, if I'd step on a bee and I stepped on plenty of them, my foot would swell up like this. My mom can vouch for this. She had to put ice packs on it. We didn't know that you were supposed to go to see an allergist for this kind of stuff back then. They just kind of like put, put some cortisone, put ice on it, spray it with NyQuil or whatever else, and you're going to be fine. That's the way that we thought in the 70s, right? So I, I grew up, we didn't run to the doctor for everything. My parents avoided the doctors. That cost money. And so, but I would swell up. So I, got, we were at, I was at a pastor's thing back in October. Another pastor said, hey, you, you told me about the Booker T. Washington monument memorial can you take me there so i took him there i said you know you know I, I loved it you know i love the story of booker t washington what what god did with him bringing him out of slavery and so we were walking it and i go to grab this fence post and i grab a bee and all of a sudden i've got a stinger in my and i'm like do you have an EpiPen? because uh i haven't been stung since i was a kid and you don't know if your allergy is now 10 times worse can be way worse i said and i said look up on Google what could happen. He's like, well, you could stop breathing. I'm feeling really better now. You know, uh, starting to watch myself. Like, what if, you know, if I go into cardiac arrest and hey, where's the nearest medical facility? And because you know, I'm going to swell up. And what if it swells in here? None of it happened. And God was just telling me, hey, some of the things you think are going to happen are not. If you're following me, if you're following me, you know, laboring in the work is inevitable. We're all called to labor in the work. But laboring in the spirit and the effusion of God's power is what he wants to promise us. Amen? He wants to give you strength that you didn't have. And I want to close with a passage that I read one verse from last week, but I marked it up just like it was in my Bible. I just took it and digitally, this is a digital markup like highlighters, if you will. You know this passage from Isaiah chapter 40. Some of you do. But I hope that you'll note as, uh, as I was up at, in the middle of the night, uh, Somewhere around 3 a.m., but I don't normally study in the middle of the night. The Lord said, take a look at this passage. And I, had, I saw for the first, a four-part breakdown. There's a, there's a question. Have you not known? Have you not heard? God says, simple, simple question. Do you not know this? And then there's a source. I put it in blue because we're to look up to the heavens, higher than the clouds. God says, look, set your eyes on things above. The source is the creator. He has all the power you need. You need more money in your bank account. You need health. You need this, that. God says, I, I own it all. It's not owned by Bank of America. It's not owned by the federal government. God says, I own every bit of it. But then there's a promise. Power to the weak. If you're weak here this morning, God has your power. Notice it doesn't say power to the powerful. It says power to the who? 
the weak. And it goes on, you know, you can see the rest of you. You'll mount up with wings like eagles. You'll run and not be weary. There's also a warning. There's a promise, and there's also a warning. The warning is this. If you're counting on yourself, you're going to fail. The young men will fail. And when I read that verse, I'm not as jealous of young men. I'm like, who cares? They're going to fail. Now, it's not really just saying that. It's saying if you're putting your trust in your bank account, your job, your career, your education, your abilities, that's a failing proposition. Amen? But if you're looking to the source, God will come to our defense, and he'll give you strength, he'll give you peace, he'll give you courage, he'll give you healing. Amen? That's his promise. And I put it a little red light, green light, so when you sit at a traffic light, you remember the green part. But also remember, the, the yellow is a warning, the red... I'm not going to trust in myself, but green, I can grow and go if I'm looking to the source. Because when you're sitting in a traffic light, just look up the sky and start praying to God. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we ask that you would just continue by your grace to change us, to strengthen us. Lord, to unify us. Lord, we know that you desire to bring us to a place of humility and surrender and solidarity, loving each other as we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith, the source of our strength. We thank you, Jesus. You have unlimited power. And Lord, whatever is needed in this room, I pray you'd pour out even now that we would settle in our hearts, Lord, to not trust in ourselves but to trust in you, to put our hand to the work and to do it together, to pray, to gather to pray, to remember that you will build us up as you have promised to do, to come to our defense if we will simply say, yes, Lord, we'll follow your will. In Jesus' name we pray.